Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me tonight is Zoe Schneider. Zoe is the curator of Scutella Philly, which is showing currently at the Craft Council's gallery. It has been on for about a month or a little more now. It has a closing reception this Friday from 7 to 9 and a panel discussion on Saturday from 2 to 3, mm-hmm. featuring Megan Mormon, Chanel Papp, Belinda Harrow, and yourself, Zoe. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. So tell me a bit about this exhibition, a little bit different maybe than what you would see when you go into the Craft Council normally. Absolutely. Um, so what I've done is kind of curated an exhibition that is contemporary artists um, taking the charge of making a back patch. So what you'd see on a jean jacket or like a leather biker jacket, that kind of an idea. I said, do whatever you want, use whatever medium you want. But the idea is that it will be fixed to a white denim vest. And it's that denim vest that's sort of giving the, tying them in visually to each other. Absolutely. The denim vest is, the white denim vest is kind of a reference to the white cube. So that's like sort of a contemporary art idea of the institution. And I wanted to play with that a little bit in terms of like what we wear out into the world, um, what we produce to wear into the world, and then how that interacts when it's put into a gallery space. And I thought the white denim would be like a perfect way to kind of bring those two together. So if we're talking about the denim vest as the white cube, is it sort of talking about our clothing as a gallery space or as a performance space? It is, yeah. It's trying to make that connection while still acknowledging the fact that these are objects that are going into a gallery space and won't necessarily be worn out into the world. Right. But building from some of that tradition, what was it about that sort of tradition, the back patch, the Mm -hmm. denim vest, the denim jacket that was pulling you into this? So I was visiting a friend in Halifax, Elizabeth Monroe. She has five pieces in this exhibition. And we had graduated from art school, like our undergrad, a couple of years earlier. And she was talking about how she was really struggling to develop her practice, to find the time to make work, the space to make work, the money to make the kind of work that we want to make. And so she started doing these like really elaborate patches and fixing them to denim jackets, denim vests, and like trying to sell them or just having them sort of available to be bought or making them from friends and family. And I looked at these objects and they were so much more than just an article of clothing and they were taken to a whole nother level. And I thought this is worthy of being in an exhibition. This is worthy of um, inviting other artists to kind of play with the same idea and making it into its own sort of thing. And then bringing it into a space like the Craft Council, mm-hmm. where there are those discussions of sort of low art versus high art or how Absolutely. different materials are received. Mm-hmm. What's the commentary then in terms of like the back patch, the DIY? Yeah, well, and that's something I wanted to kind of play with too. And I think a lot of the artists in this exhibition have as well. We have people who are working with like found material, like cut up scarves, um, found beads, just things that are pulled off of whatever and brought together. But then we have another artist who made her piece with porcelain, like fine, beautiful porcelain and beautiful embroidery. And so there's people who are playing with it in different ways. And I like to see that mix of like high and low and craft and contemporary art kind of playing together within the exhibition, kind of having conversations with each other. And so then there were no restrictions placed on materials or even, uh, there are often different sizes Mm -hmm. or different shapes. 
the only restriction was that it would be attached to one of the vests. So we had to figure out a way to get it on there and stay on there. Right. Mm -hmm. So some some material consideration, but otherwise mm -hmm. really open. Absolutely. Do you mind taking us through a bit of some of the pieces themselves and some of what people might see? Or... Sure. I guess I'll start with Elizabeth since she kind of was the catalyst for this exhibition. So two of her pieces are... Uh, embroideries of her cats and okay. they're beautifully detailed and s the surface work is just off the wall there's beading there's heavy embroidery she paints into her patches as well they're just like to the nines and then we have someone like Catherine Boyer who's doing her masters in Winnipeg right now and hers is beautiful beautiful precise pristine beading surrounded by beaver pelt like just oh. She's a pristine beater and like wonderful artist. Um, we have someone like Megan Mormon who did like a type of punch needle work um, that kind of looks like a Letterman patch. So you'd see like on a Letterman jacket. Chanel Papp did uh, glued and stitched felt, the kind of felt that you would buy at Michael's or something like that. Right. We have Blair Fornwald who did a lot of heavily, uh, like heavy embroidery and her piece is a sigil. So it's kind of tying with witchcraft and um, symbolism and charging something with meaning as it goes out into the world. Yeah. There's um, yeah, lots of work to see. I, I was, <laughs> when I was walking through it, I was noticing just how many artists you were working with. And yeah. This had to be a, a big undertaking. There's big... 12 artists and I know I'm not hitting on everyone, but. Just trying to coordinate, trying to bring in all those pieces. That's a, it's a lot of balls in the air. It so. is. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of the artists, what was the process of choosing them? Because you're not necessarily choosing artists who. I mean, I'm assuming most of them aren't making patches on a regular no. basis. No, I just, I was thinking about um, people that I know who would be interested in this idea, who are interested in um, maybe DIY, interested in conversations on craft and art, um, and who would take the opportunity to do something outside of their wheelhouse, someone who would just pick it up and go with it. That's who I was really kind of focusing on. So more of a conceptual approach to their work than the material approach? I would think so in most cases, not necessarily all. No, fair <laughs> enough. So there was only one patch that you can sort of buy, which was the sort of... Yeah. So there was also <laughs> that sort of play with some of, well, just the, the sheer volume of like iron-on patches that are yeah. coming out now. And this is becoming a sort of bringing that idea of patch culture back. Absolutely. And so was it yourself who designed that patch? Um, I did it with my partner, John Vaughn. I kind of came up with the idea and he did the, the drawing and the kind of um, design work for it. And so this was the only patch that was then mass produced. For now. Right. <laughs> with maybe possibilities of others. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I plan to apply for some funding to get that going. So That's mm -hmm. great. Have some locally made patches going out there. I would love that. Yeah. And I mean, the idea was kind of to play with um, what is like, how do we democratize art and how do we make something by an artist that is tangible for someone who might not have the money to buy like an original artwork? And I mean, there's ideas that are kind of at odds with each other in that as well. And I think all of this exhibition is just kind of presenting all of these at odds ideas and putting them all together and letting people kind of sift through it on their own. Well, and one of those might just even be the idea of like the handmade versus the mass produced. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And how it almost takes the mass produced to make that art affordable, right? Mm -hmm. And make it. And so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the artists in the show are all women. Is that correct? Or um, no, uh, Jeff Meldrum okay. is a musician from Regina. Okay. And I really wanted to include him because I think part of Patches is like the music scene. And so it was really important to have someone who kind of played into that as well. 
Oh, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the material and the vests, mm-hmm. I feel like this is building at least in part out of your own practice. Absolutely. Because you're you're doing your master's currently at the University of yes. Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and working with fabric work. Fabric often, not I know not exclusively, yeah. and it's, it's a master, so mm-hmm. there's lots of exploration, mm-hmm. but you've got a strong background in fabric and sculptural works. Yeah. Uh, can, can you talk a bit about sort of that process or how that's, you know, sort of that material play or that? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I do a lot of work right now with denim and with um, sort of found fabrics, a lot of spandex as well, too, the stuff that you make swimsuits out of. Um, so when I did my undergrad, I, I kind of did a lot of coursework in the fiber department. And I'm interested in those processes, but I'm also very interested in how humans are just so comfortable with fabric because we wear it every day, we sleep in it, we dry off in it, like it's on us all the time. And so that's a fantastic access point for someone viewing a piece of art. Um, It immediately becomes something felt, even if you don't necessarily touch it. So people can kind of get into a piece that way. So that's kind of where I started to to really put that into my practice and it just keeps emerging through it. That's an interesting concept, the idea that we can perceive how it feels even mm-hmm. without necessarily. Absolutely. The The flip side of that is sometimes when you're putting the fabric in a gallery space, the number of people, people who come touch up. It. And, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's, I, even at our gallery, we, mm-hmm. if I have a fabric piece, people will stand there trying, mm-hmm. not trying, or talking to me about how they want to feel mm-hmm. it. And, Sometimes I'm like, okay, and sometimes I'm just surprised because mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's, that's an artwork there. We don't, we yeah. can't really. Yeah, it's but, tricky. It's definitely tricky. Well, and with like white vests in this show, mm-hmm. you don't really want to have a lot of hands on I the I was lighting. so worried about grubby fingers touching the white. But but you do have a patch station. Mm-hmm. We do. And that was, was that part of the plan from the beginning or? Um, I believe so. I'd have to go back into my. No, but I mean, this was like something planned out throughout the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's important for me to make the making um, accessible to someone who comes in and looks at this exhibition and can take something away, even if they can't buy one of the mass-produced pieces or some of the pieces themselves are for sale. They're like you know. Their original artwork so they're going to be more expensive right. than like a mass-produced patch but I thought it was really important that someone could take something away from this exhibition because this is about the DIY scene a little bit it's about this kind of culture of making something for yourself out of whatever you can kind of put together and building your own identity and I thought that if someone were able to come in be inspired by the exhibition and want to make something that they would wear out of the space then that would be a perfect way to kind of interact with the exhibition and it seems like that station has been fairly busy throughout. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I walk in and there's little like beads in different mm-hmm. places and pieces <laughs> of fabric. So I'm like, this is good. Mm. People are enjoying making a patch. Mm-hmm. So that idea of democratizing art, mm-hmm. allowing anyone to sort of come in and, and make or come mm-hmm. in. And, and then does that also move to the idea of self-expression? So sort of how we're choosing to present ourselves in the world? Absolutely. I mean, I think we continue to live in a culture that's, becoming more and more built for us Um, and that can be through being able to just kind of purchase whatever you want online and so it's important for me to kind of spend a little bit more time focusing on what we can build for ourselves and creating our own identity without necessarily purchasing it yeah and I mean I think that comes from just my teenage life like being growing up in the 90s and you kind of make your own zines and you make your own clothes and you you do what 
whatever you want to do with whatever kind of stuff you can find and look as different as possible. And um, I don't, I mean, I think that's still happening with, with youth cultures, but there's also like, like I just see so much stuff available online to purchase that kids aren't having to do it themselves. Well, moving to a consumer culture where we purchase our identity rather than a productive culture where we maybe are creating it. Yeah, or have a hand in it or have some say in it. Right. Yeah. So uh, trying to bring some of that back in and say it's okay to be different Mm -hmm. or it's okay to self... To determine how you want to express yourself in the world and how you want to walk around in the world. Cool. Mm -hmm. Just to go back to a bit of your history, Mm -hmm. you're in the first year or I guess now at this point in between first and second year. I'm officially onto my... You're officially onto... I've officially graduated out of the first year. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. In the Master of Fine Art program at Mm -hmm. the University of Saskatchewan. Yes. uh, Having moved here from Regina. Yes. Where you had been stationed for the last few years. Yep. As one of the... Is it... I'm sorry, I don't even know the official coordinator at OSAC or... Visual and Media Arts Coordinator. Okay. At the Organization of Saskatchewan Arts Councils. If you don't mind, tell us a bit about this for those who may not be familiar. Yeah. Um, So OSAC is an umbrella organization. We present visual, performing, um, and kids tours throughout rural Saskatchewan. Our focus is on rural Saskatchewan. So we have arts councils all across Saskatchewan, and then they book programming through us. So I'm in charge of putting together visual arts exhibitions. At any given time, I have about 14 to 16 on the road. We introduce five new ones every year. And... um, yeah, and I'm continuing to do that job distance. So I am working in the mornings for OSAC and then doing my master's in the afternoon and evenings and balancing it for now. So it's good. It's Keeping well. you busy, though, I'm sure. Extremely busy, but also <laughs> stimulated and challenged and, and I'm enjoying it. Well, and then doing things like this exhibition. So yes. I feel like you're keeping an active practice going outside of the campus or... Absolutely. Well, I think that's extremely important and not necessarily something that's always um, taught to students. And I think that comes from my background at OSAC and the world that I had in Regina. Um, I felt comfortable continuing to apply to things and put together exhibitions and think about curation and think about what work I want to see together. And yeah, absolutely. OSAC gave me the organizational skills big time to be able to do something like bring together 12 artists for this exhibition. But that idea just of continuing a practice outside what mm-hmm. I, I agree with you it's important but can, can you maybe talk a bit about why like how is that changing how you make art or mm. how you're thinking about it I mean I think that being a part of a community an arts community is extremely important to having an arts career and to put that on hold for two years to go to school would um, I think it would have been stifling and I think it would have prohibited growth for me um, I view my career as an artistic and artistic administrative career. So continuing to have these skill building and learning opportunities is extremely important to my growth within this program. Um, and I think, I think it's important for students, especially students in the arts, to understand that um, the sooner that you can get out into the community and become a part of it and volunteer and show up and get to know people, the sooner you will um, grow into that community and have opportunities to show and, and that kind of thing. So building some of those opportunities from your your relationships that Absolutely. you've built and your involvement in that community. Yeah, and I mean just seeing how it works and understanding um, maybe not the written protocol, but just um, just understanding how it is in the art world, how to be a part of it, how to 
um, show up and help out and become like a valued member of that community. I wonder as well, though, how it affects the art itself. Mm. Understanding, <laughs> understanding how it's going to be seen in a larger community, how Absolutely. it's seen under outside of a studio. Oh gosh, that's uh, that's a huge part of it, and I think I mean. I think I'm in a kind of a different situation where I have many audiences always in mind because of my job and because of my um, because of this degree because of just my general interest in arts as well. So I've got like 40 audiences in mind, and you kind of think about your audience when you're building a piece, and maybe some is right for certain audiences but not for others, and then that's also knowing where you push that work to, like. I think a big part of of kind of applying for shows that a lot of artists don't necessarily understand coming out of school is that you need to do the research to find the spaces that work for you, um, that are interested in showing your kind of work, um, and that are yeah that are that are there for you. That idea of filtering out finding the right spaces so mm -hmm. that when you're sending out your exhibition proposals, mm -hmm. you're not getting rejections based on a lack of fit. Exactly. Like, I mean, for OSAC, we're really concerned with uh, size and durability and weight because we're shipping something, you know, 40 times and that's expensive and it's being taken in and out of crates 40 times. And so durability is super important, whereas that's not necessarily a consideration when you're applying to maybe AKA where you live in the city and you can deliver it and it's going out of your car into the building. But also the ability to in, to do installation work, I would mm -hmm. assume, is much limited with OSAC considering. It is, yeah, because, I mean, then we'd also, it would be, because we pay a negotiated Carfax rate, it would also be um, paying someone to go out 20 times to set up their work and then another 20 times to take it down. It's It becomes cost prohibitive. Of course, because you can't also reasonably expect the the people in the various centers to be mm -hmm. installing. You know, the artist has to be there. Right? Exactly. If it's an piece, yeah. So. so there are some considerations, and that's unique to our situation. That wouldn't be for another uh, institution or gallery. And so that's part of the research that I think young artists need to do is find your people and find your community and find your like art centers and then go towards them and kind of don't, I don't want to say don't waste your time, but like, Again, like if you're if you're wanting to tour a 300 pound steel sculpture, that's probably just not going to go because it's too heavy. So, yeah. And I'm wondering too about for you as you're showing the work and receiving, obviously not like a critique necessarily mm -hmm. in a space like the Craft Council. Like ho hopefully you're you know as you're meeting people in the gallery, that's you know <laughs> that's not the feedback you're getting, just not quite the right space, but still different feedback, different reception than it would be happening within the classroom environment, within Absolutely. the studio environment. So I'm wondering how that affects the work. Well, or... in the classroom, um, everyone's paying to be there or paid to be there. And so the engagement is a lot higher than you would get when you just kind of set up in a gallery space and and then walk away. I think at you know opening and closing receptions, there's always going to be a lot of chatter. I don't necessarily think it's when critique happens. Um, it's more just, you know, enjoying yourself and seeing the work and that kind of thing. But for that engagement then mm -hmm. too, you're, it sounds like it, you're conscious that you're having to work a lot harder for engagement in the public than mm. you do in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think the other thing is that in the classroom, we all have a shared history or a shared knowledge of history of 
visual art and someone walking in off the street not ne- would not necessarily have that. So there are things that you can do to increase engagement, which is why we have stuff like the patch station and, you know, the for-profit patches and all of that kind of stuff is, is built into it to kind of ease um, comfort and familiarity with the exhibition. And providing different entry points for different people coming Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, before we leave Osaka and go back to the exhibition, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's it's such an interesting program to me because for many communities, this it forms the touring exhibitions that come through. Mm-hmm. And it forms, I'm assuming for many people in the community, the art that they see. Absolutely. And and so it becomes this, like you say, a challenge of size and scale mm-hmm. sometimes, but also conceptually. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I just... It's such an interesting program, I guess, just mm-hmm. because you have such a responsibility in terms of bringing the work in. And I'm assuming it must be a challenge some years picking work. And it is, deciding. yeah. And I mean, I think um, a big part of what we do at OSAC is focus, or we focus on making education guides, which are like huge documents that we provide to teachers to increase visual literacy among students in rural communities who might not necessarily have like a McKenzie or the Mendel or, you know, now not the middle, but like to walk down the street and go to. And so we're, we're trying to bring out art that will be comfortable and interesting and will bring people out to the gallery, but then also provide an opportunity to learn a little bit about what's going on in the bigger centers and in the world at large. So we, we really do try and bring in historically relevant um, exhibitions. We partner with like Moostar Museum and Art Gallery to tour works from their permanent collection. Um, we just partnered with AKA to tour like emerging artists throughout Saskatchewan. So we really try and give a good um, balance of, of interests because like in every arts council, there's going to be different people with different interests who are booking these exhibitions. So we want to make sure that everyone comes and has something that they want to take back to their communities. And they know their communities better than I do. So I just, I try and give them a little bit of everything. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, and then to move back a bit to the exhibition. So you were talking about the panel discussion mm-hmm. that's going to be happening on Saturday. Uh, can you take us through a bit of what might be discussed? Or Sure. Yeah, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, how DIY culture plays into um, making back patches. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of place in terms of how we kind of build identity and how that informs our, our identities. Um, and then we'll also talk about some of the specific artists that are going to be on the panel and what their specific piece is about as well. Well, and you've picked some of them, like Chanel is working at the University of Lethbridge, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so bringing some, because I know when she was doing her master's here, it was also very fabric based. Mm-hmm. And so bringing some of that, that experience back into, of doing sort of not dissimilar from yourself, three-dimensional sculptural work. Absolutely. But back to this idea of like the two-dimensional flat patch. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about place, the way place is informing, is this even in terms of the informing the specific works in the exhibition or? Absolutely. Yeah, um, like someone like Belinda, whose work is a beautifully embroidered jackrabbit. And a lot of her work is about the rabbits that are in downtown Regina that just kind of like proliferate there. And so that work is very much about her place within that city and her ideas of what that city means in terms of animals, because that's kind of how she, that's her access point for her work. That's how she um, works through different ideas is often through local animals. Jeff Meldrum's is about, it's it's kind of between, it's the road between Saskatoon and Regina, and it's um, looking at Saskatchewan and his idea of what Saskatchewan is versus what other people's ideas of what Saskatchewan might be. 
And then Jill Waldron, who's an artist in Grand Prairie, um, her work is very much about where she lives currently, and a lot of her stuff is recycled felted objects and stuff that she kind of picks up and puts together into a patch. So place absolutely is a defining element in a lot of these people, in a lot of the artists' patches. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then again, given that same space of creation for like the back patch how mm-hmm. many how many different areas that they're pulling on to create this, absolutely so. there's it's fascinating to see how people have taken this idea and, and run with it so again just to go over a few of the details mm-hmm. the closing reception it's uh this friday from 7 to 9 p.m dj malware will be performing uh as well as having refreshments and um it should be a very fun evening a lot of the artists are going to be in attendance as well and then um, there'll be a full gallery space yes it will <laughs> It should be fun. Um, and then Saturday from 2 till 3 p.m. is the panel talk. Great. And just for yourself, is uh, anything, I, it's already a lot on your plate. Are there any mm-hmm. other upcoming projects or things that you'd like to let people know about? Um, well, <laughs> this exhibition is going to be touring through some communities in Manitoba next year. So no I'm very kidding. excited about that. Yeah. And I hope to see it go further. And I'd actually like to add a few more artists to it and Make it bigger, because why not? <laughs> well, that's exciting, though. So bringing some of this out of Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Into Man- and so then maybe possibly working with some Manitoba artists? Well, um, well, we've got Catherine. I mean, she's a she's Regina right. artist, but living in right. Manitoba. Um, yeah, I have a few people in mind I haven't really reached out to yet, so they'll be oh, hearing from me. <laughs> fair enough. But um, but yeah, and then one of our artists is Nova Scotia-based, and I would love to have it go to Nova Scotia. So I'm going to be playing out there as well and see what happens Mm -hmm. always nice when you can take an exhibition that i assume was a fair amount of work and start to get it in a few different spaces absolutely Mm -hmm. well thanks again for joining me zoe thank you so much for having me again i'm michael this has been unframed conversations about the arts on cfcr 90.5 fm in saskatoon a reminder as always if you would like to connect with us you can find us on social media we're unframed radio on facebook instagram and twitter And if you'd like to listen to this episode again or any of our past episodes, you can go to unframedradio.com or find our podcasts on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening.